Welcome to Catastropod. Today, we're talking about The 100 with Jessica Harvey. I'm going to get her to introduce herself. Hi there, my name is Jessica. Um, I will be talking to you about The 100 today. I wrote my honours thesis on it a while ago, so I have a lot of documented feelings about it. <laughs> oh, I'm really glad because I have a lot of undocumented feelings about The, the 100 or The 100, however you'd like to say it. Mm. Um, I've heard both. I think sometimes it's more of an accent thing. Yeah. So when I've seen actors at different Comic-Cons, depending upon what country they're in, they will say different. Yeah. Say so different. whatever you'd like to call it, the 100, the 100, we're going to talk about it today. Yes, we and we're specifically going to talk about um, queerness and depictions of queerness in the 100 because um, it's something that's close to both of our hearts. It sure I, is. Yeah. So I identify as queer um, first of all, and then bisexual, I guess, to the second degree because only because I've fought for it. I spent an adolescence fighting for that identity and even though I guess you could probably classify me more as pansexual mm-hmm. or queer, um, I still hold bisexual close to my heart as an identity. And I like to think of bisexual being my own gender and other genders yep yeah okay well I suppose I'm still negotiating where I sit as we all are because I as a teenager was very much arguing for that bisexual identity and then growing up moving away and dating both women and men and having a lot of issues with either being erased which way whether you know you're gay or whether you're straight and I yeah still negotiating it Mm -hmm. still a little bit confused but yeah it's it's a lifelong uh process yes um I spent a lot of time trying to figure out whether I was gay or straight because Mm -hmm. I didn't realize probably because of the lack of bisexual representation which is something we'll talk about today um, I didn't realize that you could like both Mm. as a legitimate sexuality so I spent a lot of time going oh I'm a lesbian oh I'm straight Um, and until I finally realized at about the age of 17 that I could be whatever I wanted to be. Yeah I'm still at what 23 I'm still trying to work out that I can be whatever I want to be, but I'll get there. Yeah, and I mean, it. labels aren't important, but they kind of are, yes. um, which is something we're also going to talk about today. Yes, labels are a very complex thing. They really are. The 100, I'll give you a brief rundown if you haven't seen it. It is a post-apocalyptic TV show um, that is set several hundred years in the future after a nuclear war has decimated the human population. Initially starts out on a spaceship, orbiting above the earth who are slowly dying through lack of resources um breathable resources i believe is the most pertinent of those and initially 100 juveniles are sent in the first episode down to the earth uh to see if it is still it is now livable um and they come across not only um having to fight within themselves but also fight the population that lives on the ground uh, who have adapted to life I guess an irradiated life Mm. yeah and I think it's probably also important to note that the the hundred teenagers that are sent to the ground were previously incarcerated so they were 
in prison until they were 18 where they would kind of be retrialed and then either sentenced to death or not. So they didn't really get a choice to go to the ground. No. The 100 is now at five seasons, I believe. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jessica and I have watched the first three um, just because it's only been recently that the fourth season has become available on Netflix and I haven't got around to it yet. Though Jessica has different reasons for not watching past season three. Yes. Um, so the twofold one was economical, uh, money. Yeah, financial. It, it was a financial. When it moved from Channel 10 to Foxtel, I didn't have enough money for that subscription. And also because I am very angry and will probably continue to be angry for a long time about the way that they handled Lex's character. So I stopped, stopped watching. I couldn't emotionally handle it. Post as, as I did write my thesis on it, the thing about the thesis is that it's very intense in a very short amount of time and you've kind of got to recuperate from that. So I needed that space to get away from this thing that I'd been writing about for a year. That you had perhaps analysed to death. Mm. Yeah. Like you couldn't look at it without being like, oh no, that thing that is a thing. That is, that has overtaken my brain. The 100 has some interesting depictions of queerness and it's it has a main character who is bisexual though doesn't specifically identify as such and we'll get into why later but her actions Mm -hmm. show that she is specifically bisexual so I've got a few questions that I wanted us to think about and I'll just pull them up so I've read that the hundred is considered post-queer Do you think the lack of specific labels is positive or negative? And how do you feel about the lack of labels when it comes to bisexual representation, something that is sorely missing from TV, film, fiction, etc.? I don't think that's a yes or no question. Mm -hmm. I think it's very complex because you've, on one hand, you've got this TV show where within the context of it, it's kind of showing us a post-society world where labels don't matter, which is in and of itself a fantastic idea. One day I would love for that to be able to happen, but it's ignoring the fact that it's currently in, what is it, 2018, where those kind of labels do matter and are markers for community. So on one hand, it is good that they don't have the labels and on the other hand, it is bad that they don't have the labels. Especially when it comes to bisexual representation, to have um, a character that is canonically bisexual Mm. and then sort of not have her, or or queer or Mm. pansexual, Mm. and then have her not sort of specify that um, is something that's quite common in television especially, as well as in film and, and books. So... There's definitely an issue with the bisexual representation in that if somebody's not specifically identifying as gay or straight, Mm. then they're generally either not able to put a label onto it Mm -hmm. or they're depicted as questioning rather than identifying as somebody who's attracted to their own and other genders. Yeah, so there, there were a big thing that I found myself writing about was that how in especially young adult shows, ign- removing, removing or constructing a society where you don't leave, constructing a society where you don't use those labels or characters don't claim those sexual identities actually leads to quite homophobic and queerphobic readings because mm-hmm. then it means that it is very easy for someone to be like, 
oh, they that's just them experimenting. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of media, there is kind of this in in the journey of heterosexual maturation, there is that, oh, I kissed a girl and I liked it kind of thing. So by not having those, it actually leaves the text open to some pretty horrible readings yeah. around questioning. And when you consider the fact that it's that this show is about teenagers and aimed at young adults and, and teenagers, it's just painful. It'd be nice for teenagers to be able to see mm. depictions of themselves, yeah. especially bisexual or queer teenagers. Mm. Who so, are questioning or just... Who are comfortable with their sexuality. And I, so the main character of The 100, Clark, is bisexual. And I was quite happy when, so her first relationship in the show was with a male. Finn, yep. Her second relationship was with a female, Lexa. Lexa. Yep. And then once, so this is going to have spoilers. Mm. Uh, so if you haven't spoilers. watched, <laughs> so many spoilers. If you haven't watched The 100, then turn off now. Or if you don't care, then continue listening. After Lexa passes away in terrible fashion, Clark, no, is it after, no, or is it? Is it after Lexa passes away that Clark has the brief encounter with the female? With Naya. Yes, with Naya. Both before and after. Okay. So we're not just getting an impression that Clark is experimenting or that Lexa is the first and only woman that she's been in love with or or sexually attracted to. We've got sort of double confirmation that yeah. she is indeed bisexual, which is because the show doesn't specify labels, mm. it is nice to have some confirmation that she is indeed both sex, all, all genders attracted. Because yeah. it's harder to discount two people than it is to blame one on experimenting. Exactly. Or blaming one on, you know, you're special. Mm. Yeah. I've never been attracted. Yeah. yeah. I've never been attracted to a woman before, but you're special. special. And Lexa, she's pretty special. Mm. So in regards to the post-queer no labels things, it seems that people are just too busy trying to survive in the 100 to worry about labels. And in my own post-apocalyptic and dystopian fiction, I've tended towards this as well. Why do you think the need to survive creates an environment of orientation acceptance? Do you think that has something to do with trying to find the hopeful angle in a not-so-hopeful future? Well, I can see where you're coming from. I think it may actually be more to do with the fact that you are putting characters in situations where they are both reconstructing and renegotiating their realities and their their societies. So especially the big thing generally about post-apocalyptic and a lot of dystopian literature is that they're usually post some kind of cataclysmic event where most of society is wiped out. Mm-hmm. So within that, a lot of kind of the institutionalised rules and structures of heterosexuality, heteronormativity race, gender, class are all gone. So you get to renegotiate this all over again where we don't may not necessarily have to deal with a lot of the hang-ups mm-hmm. that are in history around queerness and stuff like that. So on one hand, being able to kind of start afresh. Mm. Um, so the thing that I really enjoy about the 100 and post-apocalyptic landscapes is that it is very unique in the fact that it both has the grounders, so the people who survived the nuclear radiation, the people from the Ark who generally called Sky Crew, and in the second season, um, the Mountain Men, which 
gives us a very interesting combination to look at both like society pre and post apocalypse and understand how society is actually very constructed yeah so you have the mountain men and when we get introduced to them it's all pristine white and it's a bunker and they've got van gogh paintings on the wall it seemed to me a kind of throwback sort of culture Mm. so a throwback perhaps to a different time it gave me a 50s vibe yeah so like very kind of 50s 60s 60s with money yeah like 50s 60s uh so when you think about the cold war and those kinds of bunkers it seems like it was perhaps one of those type of bunkers that Mm. was then inhabited by people at the time yeah and when you look at the mountain men and that they're still in the old clothes and stuff it is very much a time capsule of before the new before the apocalypse yes. it is it is a very concentrated sample of society pre-apocalypse and it's quite you know bourgeoisie and rich white upper class yes um not particularly racially diverse no and still encompassing still embracing the qualities and values and ideals of a Mm. world that we perhaps recognize yeah so then you yeah so you have the the mountain men which are yeah those the old society um very controlled rigid society If if we look at the mountain men they can't leave the bunker they are very much controlled in how they are and would you say it's patriarchal? Because it seems like it would be a patriarchal sort of society because the, those in charge seem to be, from what I remember, mm. um, mostly men. Yes. that I from, from memory, all of the kind of main figures in that were men. Yes. And even if you, were, you looked at the way that they composed the dining tables mm-hmm. in some of the scenes, it was very much like nuclear family units sitting beside each other. So even if it wasn't necessarily in the... F- foreground it was still very much in the way that the mountain men had arranged their society and even if you look at the way that they the mountain men became where that population came from they say in the show that it was like the politicians yes who got into it so it was yeah the very nuclear probably on some degree of the conservative end of the spectrum people who were in that space for 200 years repopulating within their little cataclysm the tiny tiny gene pool yes yes tiny gene pool which is obviously ends up being one of the big problems for them their Mm. their their gene pool is so small they act as a the mountain men act as a really good contrast against both the grounders and the sky crew Mm. because the grounders on the other hand have been living outside and have adapted to the radiation and are also very problematically coded as savages Uh, yeah they're problematically coded as savages there's a lot more actors of color as opposed to the mountain men which are all from memory mostly white and you have the mountain men in their pristine kind of structures against the grounders who are you know dirty and living in huts and the way that they're just kind of animalized almost Mm, most definitely and then against kind of the sky crew in the middle who are both society pre-apocalypse and also society post-apocalypse renegotiating that and it just ends up with a very interesting contrast which for me I found academically I found rooted in kind of ideas of dualism Mm -hmm. of like women and nature being linked and 
um, race, sexuality and all of that being oppressed and then through like the Sky Crew and the Grounders just watching how with nature changing and the apocalypse, those kind of dualisms are inverted within the show. So I was really satisfied to see that Clark and Lex's kiss in season two was Mm. not a case of queer baiting. However, when Clark and Lexa finally do have sex, Lexa is killed almost immediately afterwards. It's like one ad break, I think. By a stray bullet, a la <gasps> Tara and Buffy, etc. Why do you think the show started out with such a refreshing rep of the LGBTQI uh, and then reverted to the standard of bury your gays? I think they started with a really cool idea. And they were running with it and they realised that they had the space to be able to make these kind of queer characters. And to be honest, I'm not quite sure why they did what they did, whether it was around scheduling with the actors. Um, so from what I've read, the woman who played Lexa was also starring in Fear the Walking Dead. Yep. And so her scheduling was limited, though not completely she wasn't to be completely ruled out it's just that her scheduling was limited and so they decided to kill off her character Mm. because of those scheduling conflicts it's interesting to note that she does appear Mm. throughout episodes after she has died as a um not quite a ghost as a virtual reality as a virtual figure yeah like an avatar yeah so obviously the scheduling conflicts weren't that pertinent Mm. so there probably could have been other ways that they dealt with that relationship Mm. so yeah well if if we take it at face value and say that it is around it was around scheduling conflicts and if we also say that she needed to be completely out they couldn't have just made her disappear for a few episodes go to the metropolitan or something the way they did it makes for me goes down to the fact the fact that i don't care what the reason behind it was all I care about is the impact. Yeah. So I've got some stats here. These are all from Autostraddle. I can give the uh, – so in the show notes, I'll have the links to this. So over 40 years of television, only 7% of all queer female characters got a happy ending. In 40 years of American television history, only 30 lesbian or bisexual characters got happy endings. And in the first six months of 2016 alone – 16 lesbian or bisexual characters were killed. Mm. So it's not just a case of, oh, sorry, the actress has scheduling difficulties. It's It may have been their way of fixing a scheduling problem, mm-hmm. but it was playing into a trope that we see again and again and that the queer community is quite frankly sick of. Yep. We're sick of seeing our, finally seeing ourselves represented only to see ourselves be killed off, to see characters that we identify with be killed off. Mm. And usually in such terrible fashions. Yeah, usually very gory and... Or if not gory, as sort of as collateral. Like yeah. when Tara and Buffy died, she was collateral. She was... Mm. It was like her death was not necessarily written to play the tragic card, but she was killed by a stray bullet. Much like Lexa was killed by a bullet not intended for her. And so it's just kind of a case of this is happening again. Mm, so it's yeah. very much this, this stray bullet. It's using her death to advance another character's plot mm. rather than their own stories, which is very frustrating. Extremely frustrating. 
I don't believe that the intention behind whatever the reason behind killing Lexaroff was, the intention doesn't matter. It's the impact mm. that does. Yeah. And if they'd thought about it and maybe done a little bit better and even just... Maybe done a little bit of research. Bit of research. Yeah. Even if it hadn't been just one ad break, if it, if it hadn't been a stray bullet, there are so many ways they could have made it a lot more respectful and they didn't. And it was specifically after Clark and Lexa, Lexa yeah. consummated their relationship for the very first time that Lexa was killed. Yeah. Uh, I believe they were still in bed at the time. Yeah, that seems – I think they – well, they were still in Lexa's room. Yeah. Um, so it, it happened immediately after and it's sort of a case of – and I know obviously this is not their intention, but it feels like a punishment. Almost like a punishment, yeah. And when you – consider the fact that the person who shot the gun was Lex's advisor which was who was coming to kill Clark because she was Clark was kind of poisoning Lexa it's like okay so basically you're saying that you know this that these women were poisoning each, each other. other and that that is deserving of death like and the real shame is that Lexa and Clark's relationship was actually quite interesting mm. so technically both were leaders of their mm. respective armies. The, the highest ranking of both. Very competent, yes. complex, mm. and well-rounded characters and women. Mm. Also very, like, established as sexual characters. Yes. Like, they had their own well-dealt-with sexualities pre-each other. Yeah, and to see a relationship sort of de develop between these two very powerful characters, mm. I thought was really interesting, and I thought it could have been played... It could have played out in a different way. Mm. Their conflicts could have seen the end of their relationship rather than the unfortunate bury a gay stray bullet mm. trope being used. Well, yeah, well, they were both leaders who needed very different things. And I think there is a quote where Lexa does something that Clark doesn't like and Lex is like something along the lines of, I did it with my head, not with my heart. I made the decision with my head, not with my heart. Well, probably fact check me on that. <laughs> um, but it was a very good example of how that could have turned out. Like if you, you've got to fight for your own people and sometimes especially when you're in those situations of power. Your emotions have to be overrided by yeah. your responsibilities. Yes, and especially considering that neither of them could probably have any level of romantic or sexual relationship with any other characters in the show because of the power dynamics mm -hmm. it was just a real shame to see it end with death rather than with a renegotiation. power struggle or anything really literally, literally, literally anything, anything other than the stray bullet like and for a character as powerful as Lexa mm. having her killed in such a offhanded kind of way yes Sort of, I felt did her a disservice. Yes, especially. So the, the TV show is setting up that she's the best warrior of all time. And they'd had a scene previously where she was fighting Prince Rowan. I think it was Rowan. Mm -hmm. um, and very intense fights. So basically I've been set up to believe that she's the best warrior and can get through these kind of fights to then believe that it's kind of like I will have what you can make me believe that she is strong or she is not strong but you can't flip on that in a second yeah and have her brought down by such a insignificant mm. in such an insi insignificant, insignificant way. way yeah 
It's just very unfortunate to see a queer character be so powerful mm. and then... Killed by her own advisor. Yeah, yeah. It's just unfortunate. And it kind of just plays into the the tropes that we're sort of seeing commonly every day in television. So all of the depictions of sexuality in The 100 are predicated on the apocalypse. So why do you think the apocalypse has to happen for queerness to be accepted and delabeled? So as I talked a tiny bit about earlier, there is this notion that nature is a social construction and the way that we construct nature is dependent on like our social economic and political alignment Mm -hmm. so one of the things that the apocalypse allows for when basically obliterating the world is the removal of all of these structures but by recreating all of these structures in ways that are queer friendly or don't have labels we're also inadvertently kind of saying that you're never, you're only going to have full equity, equality mm-hmm. when there's an apocalypse. So beforehand, when it all falls down. Yes. Yeah, so basically, what you're saying is that the acceptance is contingent on the end of the world. Yeah. Which is also like probably not a great thing to be sending towards teenagers. No, most definitely not. Yeah. So if we're looking at nature being yeah being a social construct and how we relate to it being a social construct by then building this universe well, this world where where in where the characters well not necessarily the characters where the society may be ignoring kind of the historical aspect to the queer struggle lgbt rights all of that you're basically putting viewers in this position of giving them an unattainable utopia, mm-hmm. being like, this is the utopia, but you're never going to get it. You're only going to get there if it all falls down. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, maybe that's a better way of saying it. You're yeah. only going to get it if it all falls down. So you can kind of be accepted now a little bit, but you're not really going to be accepted until the end of the world, which is hella problematic. But I just, I, I, I'm very uncomfortable with that idea, obviously because of what I've already said, but... Because they're redefining or renegotiating. So the characters, Clark and Lexa, they're redefining slash renegotiating their understanding of nature, which is in turn meaning that acceptance is predicated on the idea of obliteration of society, but also that it's aligning sexuality with nature. So it's naturalizing it, Mm -hmm. which in and of of itself is something that, you know, is 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 good for me yeah. and my community, but is also saying, yes, it is natural, which is something that has been historically used against us. So rather than making it accepted in and of itself, it's naturalising it. It's saying it is accepted because of this, not it is accepted. Yes. Confusing socialness. And messages. And messages. Going haywire. Due to my background, in inverted commas, I do t- have noticed that I take a little bit more of an academic response to it which is you know what I've been trained to do through all of my studies but in the end it comes down to the fact that you're sending that the showrunner and and the show is are sending so many mixed messages around acceptance only being at the end of the world and that being naturalized because of this not necessarily being an inherently okay thing Mm -hmm. it's just a big mess it is um what do you think about sort of the responsibility of media in regards to portrayal so 
obviously we're seeing um, representation a lot more. Do you take the stance of I'm glad I'm seeing the representation although I acknowledge the fact that sometimes it's problematic or do you think that people should just do better? I think that people should just do better but I also think that the media needs more diversity. They need people to be telling their own authentic stories and rather than having a bunch of straight people write queer narratives we need to have queer people writing queer narratives and the same with people of color and because otherwise it just becomes presenting a very limited understanding of what someone else thinks is going on diversity for diversity's sake without actually including diversity Mm. like I would I I know I don't want any more dead lesbians but if it means for me seeing a story written by a lesbian then I would rather take that and I know it's sad um, that I would rather take a story by a lesbian about maybe a lesbian dying than a story written by a straight person about lesbians being happy. But for me, it's around the authenticity mm-hmm. of telling the that story. Own voices. Own voices, yeah. yeah. Which is a very good hashtag that you should all follow. So as we sort of finish up here, I'm going to segue into some questions that I usually ask my guests. Um, first of all, what would you do in the apocalypse? What would your job be? My job. I feel as if I would kind of be the person that runs all the stores. Okay. Um, and be like, no, you can't do that today. You cannot take the flour. I know. Oh, so you'd be in charge of rationing. I would be in charge of rationing, yeah, I think. Okay. Um, mostly because I think I'd be good at it. Mm-hmm. And You like asserting control and you... Uh, have forethought for the future yes but also because I would hide some things that people don't know about so that if there is a problem there is a backup store yeah which is definitely lying but mm. lying for the good of the people yes (laughs) but that would be also so hard to do because some people would need more and some people would need less and then actually reading discussion I was actually reading a story about this um in the anthology defying doomsday in regards to rations and um, different needs of different people. So what do you think is your survivability in the apocalypse? I wear glasses and without them I can't see anything. So I suspect that I have no real chances at survivability. But also like I was a girl guide and a scout for a very long time. Oh, wow. And I did grow up on a farm. Wow. And, you know, you could have raiding parties go out and collect glasses for you whenever they find them and, and adapt in that way. But also I see I can see far enough that I could watch over my stores ah. so that people wouldn't get in. So okay. I could be okay. So you're short-sighted. Yes. Yes. So you've got long distance. Mm. Uh, see, I'm the opposite. Uh, mm. Yeah, so no. Mm. I wouldn't be able to see the marauding hordes. But you um, would be able to see the big giant animal coming for you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm lucky like that. Yes. No, I, I, I don't know if I would survive. Would you survive? I feel like I'm plucky and stubborn. Mm. So my survivability odds, you know, I'm not very fit. Though oh, yeah. I've had the ability, I've, I've been really fit in the past. So, you know, I think I could adapt. Um, I do have a lot of mental illness issues yep. that would probably make it a little difficult. You know, without my meds, I'd probably be a little bit all mm. over the place. Yep. But... You know, I think my odds of survivability are quite good. I've got a good community of friends Ooh, yep. with skills. Yep. 
say I could always go back to my parents' house. We've yeah. got some land. No yeah. one will know we're there. A good friend of mine is um, a paramedic. Um, I just need to hit him up when have the time comes. A, have you got a Bunnings nearby? We do. <gasps> yeah, you're fine. Yeah. You've got the seeds. Yeah. Uh, You've got yeah. the shovel. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what you're going to do with power tools in an apocalypse, but hey, they're uh, there. Exactly. Um, you know, they've got hand tools there. Oh, yeah, like So that's shears. basically... Axes. Yeah, so the first thing that happens, you know, we hit up Bruno Bunnings. Bruno Bunnings. Swing over to Bruno Woolworths, back home, and, um, you know, settle in for the, the the bad times to pass. We could also break into a pharmacy. Oh, Chemist Warehouse is just down the road. Okay, stockpile some meds. Yep, stockpile some meds. Um, now um, I want this in a story. Yeah. Come on, please write it. Yeah. Maybe I will. Mm. And do you have any tips for the apocalypse? Anything that you think is, is important for people to know that they might not realise? Well, see, I don't think I have any any tips, mostly because I it dep- I think it would depend upon which way it comes. Yeah. Because, like, if it's a nuclear apocalypse, there's nothing we're going to be able to do. We're all fucked. And even, like, to an extent with, you know, climate change as it is, you know, we're so behind we should have been fixing the our, problem. Fixing the problem decades ago mm-hmm. um but i mean if it was just like a flash aliens coming on out of nowhere killing us all with something i think maybe just run away mm. i think that oftentimes fleeing mm. is probably for the best fleeing and regroup fleeing also something to be said for in a pandemic type situation yeah. hunkering oh. down Yes. Occasionally, so even though down. I don't like the mountain men, maybe it's a good way to survive an apocalypse. Maybe. I really do think it does depend on the apocalypse that you're trying to survive. Because well, what other kinds of apocalypse are there in nature? So we've got viruses. Yep. We've got comet impacts. We've got... I don't think we could come back from a comet impact. Right. Super volcanoes. I've thought about this a canoe. lot. Can you tell? Take a canoe. <laughs> no, seriously. I'm just thinking about this. My tip would be have some kind of boat. Mm, because on an island, say if there are zombies, mm. that water, um, mm. depending on, oh, well, then you've got to think about what kind of zombies they are. I'm going to go with a canoe. Take okay, a canoe. get a canoe or Don't a kayak or something similar. Yes. Or be able to paddle to an island where you can isolate yourself. Yes. Yeah. Isolation will always go well. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, isolation is key though isolate with a good group of friends yeah bring some books or things are going to get a bit gnarly after a little while so i want to say thank you to jessica harvey for joining me today and talking about 100 i feel like we probably could have talked about it forever thank you for listening thank you for joining me and um as i always like to say pod fucking save us (laughs)